So Money Episode 240, Rob Cosper. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. If you're interested in writing a book and helping that build your brand, accelerate your business, and just get you recognized, you're going to love hearing from today's guest. His name is Rob Kosberg, and he's a brand building expert who specializes in helping his clients become the go-to experts in their respective fields. He's also himself a best-selling author. He wrote Life After Debt, Practical Solutions to Get Out of Debt, Build Wealth, and Radically Transform Your Finances Forever. His book addresses strategies and the mindset needed to over Overcome debt and live a debt-free lifestyle. And the book has been since translated into a podcast also called Life After Debt. Several takeaways from our interview with Rob. One, how to write a best-selling book. How do you actually write a book and get people to not only buy it, but enjoy it? The mistake that cost him, he says, well over a million dollars. And the morning routine that he performs that he says helps him manage his money wisely. Here we go. Here is Rob Cosberg. Rob Kosberg, welcome to So Money. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Farnoosh. It's going to be fun today. I think. It's going to be. I like that energy. It is going to be fun. And fun for me. I, I'm really looking to you as a role model in some ways as far as where I want to take my career. People may or may not know. I've been not talking about this very publicly, but um, here and there, I've just kind of been dropping hints that I've been looking at not transitioning from personal finance, but growing my business to appreciate that I do I do know a lot more than just how to manage your money and give advice to people about their money. And how to, I do know a lot about the media and how to launch books and how to build a brand. And it, while it's not something that I have a lot of practice in teaching, it's an area that I'm really interested and passionate about teaching to others. And a lot of people just come to me for advice naturally in that area. So I'm thinking maybe this is something that I can transition into more formally. And you have done this. Uh, so I'm looking to really learn from you during this next half hour about how you took your career, which started in financial services, uh, helping people with their money, to now where you are helping people with their brands uh, as a marketing and brand building expert. Yep. So take us back to the beginning of your career in the other side of this story, which is financial services, what you learned along the way as you were building your brand and what was your aha moment for saying, you know what, I could start teaching this to others and I should. Yeah. Great question. And, uh, and I love the direction that you're going. Um, you know, I, I was told by a mentor a long time ago, you know, we're, we're really always in two businesses. We're in the business of, of what, what we do, what we're an expert in, but we're also in the business always of growing ourselves and marketing ourselves. And if you can't get a client, then you can't serve anybody. So, um, I love where you're going with, it. I think you're going to have a ton of fun too, by the way. <laughs> I'm having um, already the the program doesn't start till September. I'm already so excited. I'm concerned about time management, but that's a whole other thing. Right, right, right. 
Um, well, there's, you know, there's a lot, there's probably a lot to, to, to talk about. And I always ask, you know, do you want kind of the down and dirty, the ugly stuff, or do you just want the niceties? No, and give probably, us the truth. Give us the truth. I will. I'm, I'm happy to. Um, I, I, I've actually been kind of in and around the real estate mortgage market for most of my adult life. My dad owned a, a real estate company and I started doing mortgage lending and kind of finance stuff from the time I was about 20 years old, actually worked my way through college selling real estate. And then right after college, got a great, great position, you know, making six figures right out of college back in the eighties, uh, dating myself a little bit there. Uh, but, um, that was a lot of, it's still a lot of money. That was a lot was. of money in the eighties. It really was, especially for a kid that was, you know, 22 years old. And, uh, now I was a hustler and, and, and a really, really hard worker. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> we're, we're expanding our offices. So we're having, some <laughs> <laughs> I record no, no. from a WeWork in Manhattan and sometimes there's <laughs> drilling. So I, I feel your pain. No one died in the making of this uh, podcast. Yeah, no animals were harmed. <laughs> right. Right. So anyway, um, you know, I was always a hustler. So, you know, what I knew to do was basically to, you know, get in front of people and work hard and close sales. And, you know, as I got older, I was like, you know, I need to really figure out how to market myself so I don't have to keep, you know, doing the cold calls and visiting offices and all that. Anyway, after kind of the real estate crash in the, in the mid 2000s, especially in Florida, I found myself, you know, licking my wounds after closing a very, very lucrative business, one that was doing over a hundred million dollars a year in real estate closings and transactions. And I, I needed to kind of rebrand myself. And I started a, a brand new company, um, strictly in the financial services industry out of real estate because I was burned out. And, um, I didn't really know how to kind of start this from scratch in a very, very difficult economy, the, the worst economy, certainly in my generation. And I was told, you know, I should write a book. Um, I should, you know, use a book to kind of position myself as an expert, which I was an expert, but I needed that authority and positioning. And um, long story short, I mean, I made every mistake in the book imaginable. Uh, I mean, I just blew it in a lot of ways. But the book, you know, became successful. Uh, it's a small book. It's called Life After Debt and uh, became a bestseller. It actually got me positioned on the radio, on television for speaking engagements. And within, you know, really 12 to 13 months of starting this brand new business in a terrible economy, that business, you know, grew to over a million dollars in income. And it was all related to my book. I mean, my book like supercharged everything I did. And um, so the business, you know, exploded. But I, in an interesting way, kind of like you, I found myself you know, really enjoying the marketing piece of it and the book piece of it and the radio and all the things I was doing. And people started coming to me and saying, you know, how did you do it? And can you help me to do it? So little by little over the last four to five years, I started helping people to write their own books. We call it publish, promote and profit uh, to, to do the book, to make the book a bestseller and then to uh, get them on TV, get them on the radio, get them speaking engagements, all using the best-selling book as a positioning tool. So that's really what I do now, and have been doing that, um, you know, with my new company for for years now, and just totally love it. It's a blast. How do you write a best-selling book? How did you get people to know that your book existed in the first place? And not saying that disrespectfully, but even like as a podcast yeah. host, I find it difficult to really stand out with all the uh, with all the product on the marketplace. So, what was your secret to success with that in that regards? 
Yeah, I mean, great question. Uh, it, it's it's like um, like I tell most of my authors, you know, if if you try to get a book deal from a traditional publisher, you know, what they're going to want from you is is that you have your own platform, and of course, it's the chicken and the egg. You know, the the, the clients that we work with are like, well, I don't have a platform. I want to use the book to build my platform, but traditional publishers say they won't do a book for me unless I have a platform. So you know, we're caught in this catch twenty two. So I knew that I really didn't have a platform. So I, I knew that I was going to have to market my book. And um, I did a lot of real grassroots um, and a lot of hard work, but a lot of real grassroots stuff. Uh, I used radio. Radio was a, a primary, you know, mover of my book in the early days. Um, you know, basically my book helped get me on radio as an expert. You know, here's, you know, Rob, you know, author of Life After Debt and, you know, experienced financial person and we're in a financial crisis in 2008, 2009. So they wanted like a financial expert to kind of have a little show that they were doing called, you know, um, all things financial and kind of ask the expert. And so I used that book to position me as that individual. And then because of that, that radio and, and it led to, I mean, we flooded the airways with radio in South Florida we owned, I mean, we owned the, the the radio waves at that time, but not from the beginning. From the beginning, it was very small. But one thing led to another. People started buying the book. The book became a bestseller. That then positioned me for more radio, more speaking, et cetera. And it was this, um, you know, beautiful kind of, um, you know, one thing leading to another snowball effect of uh, great publicity and lead generation and new clients. So it was really powerful. Along the way, you probably made a lot of, as you said, you made a lot of mistakes. What was your biggest mistake? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> well, one mistake cost me, you know, over a million dollars. I mean, that's probably, <laughs> that's what? probably. Okay, what? do tell, do tell. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I'll, it wasn't like it was a million dollars out of my pocket, but it was a million dollars out of my pocket. So, so here's the biggest mistake that I made. Um, I knew that I was not the kind of individual that, could just sit down every day and write a thousand words to create a book. Um, that that's just not the way I'm built. And in fact, I found out that you know most entrepreneurs, that's really not the way they're built. Certainly, there are writers and other people that can do that. I was not one. So my first my first thought was, you know, if I'm not going to write it myself, I need to go to a ghostwriter. And I did that, and that was a, a big mistake. Even though I offer ghostwriting. <laughs> services, but it was a big mistake because of the way traditional ghostwriting is done. Traditional ghostwriting is typically done through a series of interviews and an interview process. And one of the biggest faults of traditional ghostwriting is people will say that that it doesn't capture their voice. And that's very true. Um, so after spending thousands of dollars and working with a ghostwriter and months, um, you know, she gave me back what was her version of the finished product and, and I read it and it was awful. I mean, I literally threw it in the garbage and because of that, the lost time, I then sat down and said, well, I guess the only other option is to sit down and write my book. And it took me 18 months to actually write my book. And, um, as I said, in the first 12 months, I made a million bucks because of my best selling book. So if you extrapolate it out, I mean, had I been able to write my book, I mean, if someone would have told me for news, Rob, you're going to make a million dollars in the first year of this new business with your book. I, if, if I would have known that and believed that, I would have locked myself in a closet for two weeks and finished my book. But of course, you know, I mean, I didn't know what it was going to result in. And uh, 
I lost 18 months of my life and my business because I didn't get my book finished and because I didn't understand how how I could make ghostwriting work. So, mm. you know, it, it cost me a lot of time and a lot of money to make those mistakes, um, both money out of my pocket and money that could have been in my pocket, but never got there. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, yes. I worked with a writing partner for my book and you can call her a ghostwriter, Kristen Loberg, fantastic author, often behind the scenes. But um, she and I were on the phone almost every other day for an hour. If not, we would go a few days without speaking and then we'd be on the phone for two or three hours. But we were constantly in communication and I felt that she really wrote, and I wrote a lot of passages myself. So, but all that back and forth really made for a synergistic partnership. And it felt like we wrote the book as opposed to, I just sort of like, you know, sat there and you know, three months later I had a book. Um, it felt, yeah. it felt very good for my soul to know, like I was a very hesitant person as well, like working with a book ghostwriter, you know, that that's going to be not authentic. And the relationship is so important. You have to really nurture it. And, um, there's a wrong way and there's a right way. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. And most ghostwriters do not do what that ghostwriter did for you. I mean, not, not without you stroking a six figure check. I mean, most of them are not going to be on the phone with you every day or every other day to get that authenticity and that voice. Most of them are going to do a series of four to eight interviews with you and then take transcripts from those interviews and write the book and, and still charge you five figures to do that 10 or 15 or $20,000. So most, um, will not give that kind of, of dedication. And so your Kristen was uh, not inexpensive. Yeah, Kristen no, I mean, was, was not inexpensive, yeah. but she was worth every penny. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we built our whole program around how to how to do this to capture the author's voice and at the same time not have it cost an absolute, you know, fortune, arm and a leg. And so so those mistakes led to a lot of what we built within bestseller publishing, which has been, you know, again, costly mistakes for me, but uh, but hopefully my clients benefit from them. What is your financial philosophy? In general? Yeah, like, in general. Um, you know, overall, overarching money mantra. Yeah. I, I would probably say my overarching money mantra is to, you know, first protect principle. Um, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, be debt free. Uh, I used to believe um, and, and was convinced that there were things such as, you know, good debt and that there were lots of of, of opportunities for good debt. Um, and certainly there's, there's, you know, better debt and really bad debt, like credit card debt and things of that nature. But I think I, as I've gotten older, I've become much more conservative because I've seen much of my principle, you know, be dissolved in, in various, even at the time, what I thought were really rock solid investments. So I would say first, as much as possible, be debt free. And second, as much as possible, protect the principle over risk. So I know that's really general, but as you get a little bit older, uh, it makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your number one so money moment, greatest financial accomplishment? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I love, uh, I think, two things when it comes to growing finances and, and income. Number one is I love business. Um, so I love uh, the idea of, you know, creating something that has an intrinsic value to it, you know, a, a company that has, um, that is an asset. Um, you know, you can't create that 
you know, without having a business that you invest in, you know, in both mental investment, physical investment and monetary investment. So that's something that I, you know, I, I think, you know, having a business previously that I built um, very successfully and then sold and now having a new business that I've built that is going gangbusters um, and that I'm thinking long term with because, you know, I love this so much. I can't imagine, you know, ever desiring to sell it, but at the same time building that as an asset. So that's number one is having, you know, my business be an asset for me. And number two, you know, I was raised in real estate. So I still think even though I've seen, you know, crazy devastation, especially in the Florida real estate market, such that I never would have imagined could happen. Uh, it still seems to be, you know, long term to be the best uh, investment tool. But like is said, you know, by many people involved in real estate, you know, you make the money when you buy, not when you sell. So you need to also be careful, even in very conservative investments. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think so. And what would be your advice, uh, taking a page out of your financial advisory, um, what would be your advice for anybody who wants to get into investing now? We talk a lot about on the sh- about passive investing on the show, index funds. Uh, is there any benefit to working with an advisor who's going to primarily put you in actively invested funds? You know, uh, my expertise when it comes to, you know, financial advising is not so much the markets uh, as it is and was in real estate and debt relief and things like that. So I don't know how qualified I am to answer that question that specifically. I can tell you that when it comes to the market in general, I'm, I'm super conservative. I want my, pr- my principal to be protect- protected, as I mentioned before. And as much as possible, you know, I like, um, you know, personally things that, that track indexes rather than to have them actively traded. So I try to avoid active trading as much as possible and think long term and, and it being tied to indexes. So I may not be the, best person uh, to to answer that question. I know what I like to do for myself, but of course, everybody is going to be different, you know, depending on their age, their tolerance for risk and loss, which my tolerance has changed quite a bit after I've experienced loss. You know what I mean? I think that's true probably for most people. Curious now to ask you about habits, because I think to, um, to go from transitioning your career so it was kind of dramatic, dramatic, right? I mean, you've done, you've now totally. had, how many careers have you had so far? I would say at least three. When you go back to real estate, yeah, then it was, three, I'd say then four. it was debt relief <laughs> four. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a conservative yeah. number. Um, right. Along the way, what are some, what is one big habit that you uh, stuck with to help you stay financially afloat and more than afloat really to be successful with your money? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, your morning routine, at least for me, I mean, I think your morning routine is like crucial to success. I was just having, I have three boys, um, two are one's in college, one's out of college, and then one is 14. And I was just talking to my 14 year old about, you know, his morning routine. And, uh, you know, because at 14, you don't have much of one, right? You roll out of bed and and, want to go to school. But I said, probably the thing I said, you know, son, the, the thing that um, in, in direct answer to your question, the thing that will, I think, lead to the most opportunities for success for you in the future is going to be what you do every single morning to a prepare for the day and b to kind of feed your mind. So, 
these these the answer to these questions kind of go there's two answers but they kind of dovetail so i would say that the best habit that i've gotten into is is regular reading um i try to read a book every single week and uh it's funny because in high school and even in college i wasn't really a reader i mean i i enjoyed it certainly but not when i was told what to read if you know what i mean but since college man i've just become a voracious reader so i devour I devour books on on subjects that matter to my life, whether it's my marriage, I've been married 26 years, or my parenting, or finances, or marketing, or you know, fill in the blank. So I would say my morning routine and and that coupled with just being a voracious learner and specifically reader. Um, so I, I guess I'd call those one answer, but it's kind of two. Mm-hmm. I like that you shared your morning routine with us. I think that more and more people are curious about what we do in the mornings. It's so important. I wish I was a better morning person. I have to drag myself out of bed. Maybe it's because I'm just one year into parenting and I'm still catching up <laughs> on sleep. And hopefully that will, I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, you're always feeling like constantly tired. Even as a kid, I, I, I was always up late and slept in. So yeah. I think that would be a really... It would be helpful for me, I think, to do that. But of course, it would take a lot of effort. And uh, Yeah, you know, well, I, I guess- I need an alarm clock that's literally going to hit me over the head. I, <laughs> it's not enough for the alarm to go on snooze nine times. Right, right. You know, maybe the the allowance that I would say there is for me, it's a morning routine. For someone else, it might be just a quote unquote routine. Um, you know, a routine where you're feeding your mind, a routine where you're really growing uh, it's sad in America, but you know, the, the average American reads one book a year. Uh, and I, you know, I just don't think you can, you know, I mean, you just can't be an expert at everything and not that you should try to be, but by the same token, when you're talking about your money or your children or your marriage or like these things that really matter in your life, holy cow. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to figure that out. I mean, I have a good friend of mine that isn't college educated and his wife um, is is ill. She has uh, lupus, and um, she is um, both of her kidneys have failed. And in fact, her the husband has donated one of his kidneys to his wife. And I share that story because you know, even though these people are not college educated, no one knows more about lupus and kidney failure. And like, I mean, he, he, this guy and his wife know more about their challenges and illness and, and the meds and the prescriptions than the doctors do. And so when the doctor comes in and, and reads their chart in five minutes and says, oh, we need to do this, he's there to say, well, wait a minute, you know, she's allergic to this drug or whatever. And, you know, it's because for them, it's life and death. So, you know, they've had to educate themselves and they've been hungry to educate themselves. And because of that, it's it's really made a difference in their lives. And so how much more true for us with all the other things in our lives that matter to us? Yeah, that is really inspiring and so true. You unfortunately need uh, someone in your family to be your advocate when you're in the hospital. It's unfortunately um, just you can't get by without it. It's the, it's, uh, it's the sad truth. You can. I mean, the doctors have too many patients. They're too busy. They're, you know, they're way overworked. I mean, look, you need to, you know, not that you need to be your own doctor, but, you know, our, our health, right? Health, finances, relationships. These are the things that make our lives rich or poor, really. 
And if we if we don't have the ambition to figure it out ourselves, then guess what? I mean, someone someone may not, whether intentionally or not, someone may do us wrong in the process. And it doesn't have to be intentional evil that is is portrayed upon you. It can be just a mistake, and that mistake can cost you everything. I mean, how many people do you know or that you have heard of that were invested in the wrong things in the stock market and lost their entire nest egg? I mean, I, I know people in my own family that lost their entire nest egg because they got a financial advisor that advised them the wrong way and didn't protect their principal. Of course, I know better now years later, but at the time that they were investing, I was just a kid. And so, you know, it, these things are unfortunate, but had they educated themselves in these matters, even, you know, even in small ways, they would not have made the mistakes they made. Mm-hmm. That's why I love this podcast. See, the show's about money, but you end up talking about so many other issues, bigger issues, and sometimes more important things than what's in your wallet. So appreciate that story. Mm. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks, Rob, shall we? <laughs> okay. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, I would. Oh, gosh. Make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, make a bigger difference in the world. I guess there are lots of little things to talk about. Pay off debt, invest wisely. But I would say more than anything, uh, find a way to make a tremendous difference in the world. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? People. Awesome people. Um, I surround myself with great people uh, that are smarter than me, that know know things that I don't know, and uh, they make my life so much better. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot on is? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Golf. I'm a golf fanatic. Uh, Oh, yeah. I love golf. I take... I play golf every single week. I travel all over the world to play golf. Yeah, I spend a lot of money on golf. <laughs> yeah, golf will do that to you. <laughs> One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a good one. I would say, you know, to to protect my investment. Um, and I mean, I'm a risk taker. That's just who I am by nature. And I'd say if, if you know, how to take risks while still protecting for the downside. I would say if I'd have known that, that would have been really cool. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? When I donate, I like to give to my church because I um, am intimately involved. I know the people and I, I know that what we're, what we're doing makes a big difference in people's lives. And I'm so money because? I'm so money because, hmm, that's good. I don't know what that would mean. Um, I'm so money because of the difference that I can make with it. Does yes. that answer it? Does yeah. that help? Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's nice Whatever to hear is, that but- you're giving, you're allowing to use your money in, in a, for in a, for a good cause. You know, some people look at money as power over or power to do things, and you're looking at it as a way to change people's lives for the better. I think that's a wonderful thing. Right on. Thank you so much, Rob Cosberg. It's been a pleasure to learn from you and I'll be watching you because I'm looking to follow in your footsteps and just uh, hope that I can uh, be as successful someday. Thank you very much. Thank you. So great to be with you. What a, what a really cool, interesting uh, show it was today. That 
is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Rob and his services, check out his website, robcosberg.com. He's also on Twitter with the same name, Rob Kosberg. And of course, all this information and the transcript and the comments over at somoneypodcast.com. And there as well, you can also send me a question for the Ask Farnoosh episode. Every week I answer your questions related to money, work, life, career, uh, babies, whatever, all all questions under the sun. I'm eager to hear from you. So send that my way. And if it's just a comment, send that my way as well. You can also tweet me at Farnoosh and use the hashtag so money. Thanks again to my guest, Rob Kosberg, and to all of you for joining me once again. Hope your day is so money. Money.